again interwebs welcome to another episode of the fusion underground i'm your host manuel ramirez this is episode number 74 if i'm not mistaken and here at the fusion underground what we try to do is we try to make sense of the world by having principled discussions about such topics as entertainment current events politics and culture our mission is to educate people to become critical thinkers so they can live more empowered and happier lives and this time this week, I am not joined by Jason. He had he had a birthday this past weekend. He turned 40 years old, the big 4-0. Yeah, he's just a baby. So anyway, wishing him the best of the best of birthdays uh, here from the Fusion Underground. So so what are we going to talk about today? Well, one of the things I wanted to talk about is um, when getting married, should a should a wife take her husband's last name? Yeah, Jason and I talked about this briefly. It's probably good that he's not here because he was like, I really don't want to talk about this. Um, but I wanted to, you know, here, as I just mentioned here at the Fusion Underground, what we try to do is we do talk about things that impact our culture, our society. And I think this is one of those kinds, one of those areas um, that is deeply rooted in our culture and in our society. And, and so um, I wanted to spend some time talking about it. You know, some women do not take their husband's name when they get married. They, some women just choose to uh, retain their, um, their maiden name. Some women will hyphenate their name. And, and so I wanted to, I was thinking about that a couple of weeks ago and well, is it important? Is it important that a wife take her husband's name or not? Or the other, the flip side of that, should, uh, should the husband take the wife's last name? So we'll get into that. But before we do, there's, um, you know, there's a lot of craziness going on. I don't know if you're keeping tabs on what's happening with the Kyle Rittenhouse trial. Uh, it's been going on for a few days now. Yesterday, it seemed like the prosecution all brought all of these witnesses that were supposed to be in favor of the prosecution. And it turned out they were actually in favor of the defense. Um, one of the gentlemen who, or gentlemen, I don't know, one of the rioters who was shot by Kyle Rittenhouse um, last year in Wisconsin. He took the stand. This was, I don't know if you, if you were, if you're aware of the story or not, there was, um, you know, Kyle Rittenhouse shot, um, shot and killed somebody, but um, there was another guy who was just like two feet, less than two feet away from Kyle Rittenhouse. And when Kyle pulled the trigger, he obliterated the guy's bicep. And there were pictures online of the guy with his obliterated bicep, but he was also holding a gun in that same, uh, in, in his hand uh, of the bicep. Um, and so he took the stand today. He survived. 
Um, and he took the stand. Well, this was yesterday. He took the stand and testified that he would he was approaching Kyle Rittenhouse with his hands up. But then, then it took a completely different turn that went against what the prosecution was expecting. So he admitted that on the stand, his hands were up, but then he lowered his weapon and pointed the weapon at Kyle Rittenhouse and approached him. And that was when Kyle pulled the trigger and blew his bicep off. So by looking at the video, by looking at the photographic evidence, and by this witness's testimony, this particular instance is, well, it's completely self-defense. Because in that moment, when you have an attacker, you have somebody who's approaching you, who lowers a weapon to you, then all that matters is in that instant, do you, do you fear for your life? And if the answer is yes, you can pull the trigger. And he did so. He didn't unload into the guy. He fired once, which took, which obliterated his, as, as the uh, witness uh, claimed, evaporated his bicep. And then that ended the confrontation there. So more and more what it's looking like is Kyle Rittenhouse was actually acting in self-defense. Now, there are a lot of people that are saying, yes, but he crossed state lines. He, you know, all of these different things. He shouldn't have been there in the first place. Um, you're probably right. And let's just say for the sake of argument, you are correct that there, there were some other misdemeanors or some other laws that were violated, even if you want to state that, even, even immoral, should he have even been there to begin with? We can have all of those conversations, but all of those conversations are separate from the act of was he acting in self-defense? And so by all accounts, it looks like, yes, he is acting in self-defense. Now the media has been out there and they've been completely editing what's been going on in the trial. They've been cutting the trial at certain, at certain pieces. They've been leaving out um, pieces of the testimony so that they can paint a completely different picture, which is a picture that Kyle Rittenhouse is a white supremacist murderer. That's the, that's the image that they're trying to paint in the media. But if you're watching the trial, you realize that there's a completely different picture that's being painted here. And the picture that's being painted is Kyle Rittenhouse actually did act in self-defense. Now, there were rumors last week that uh, members of Antifa, perhaps Black Lives Matter, BLM, um, I'm, again, I don't know the, the truthfulness of this, but there were rumors that were going around saying that uh, these leftist organizations were taking pictures of the jury. And so if that's the case, then that sets up uh, an opportunity for them, for the, for the leftist organizations, to uh, intimidate the jury. And so even though this is looking to be uh, a case of self-defense, clearly in all areas, I think the normal, the average person would say, well, if it's self-defense, he needs to be acquitted. He needs to be exonerated of these charges. But then when you throw in, if this is indeed the case, true, where there's the possibility of jury uh, intimidation, then who knows what's going to happen? The issue that I have with trials like this is we have this divide in our society between, between people who consider themselves the elites of our society and then those of us who are just simply plebes, the plebes of society. And when you have that break, when you have that type of separation, 
these types of trials, they become an opportunity to teach the plebes a lesson and put the plebes back in their place. And so even though I look at this and I say, there's no way that somebody could, could um, vote to send this, send this kid, Kyle, um, to life in prison, that they should absolutely vote to exonerate him based on the testimony so far. I don't think that, I don't, I'm not convinced that that's going to happen. So anyway, we'll continue to um, follow the trial and see how this plays out. It will be really interesting. I think there's a, there's a possibility that with the, you know, if let's say, if it is true that the pictures that jury intimidation is going to happen. And given the fact that the media is completely distorting what's happening in the, in the, in the courtroom, there's a, there's a big possibility that there are groups of people here just hoping now, maybe not a concerted effort. Maybe they're not making any coordinated effort to accomplish this, but it seems like there are people, at least on the left who are, who are using this as an opportunity to riot again. So that if the jury comes down with a not guilty verdict, well, now the media and other folks can spin this whole thing as, well, the rioters are justified. And all that does is put more people at risk, more people in possible danger, because we don't know where riots will break out. They could spread all, all across the, the country again. Because remember, it's been painted that Kyle Rittenhouse is a white supremacist. Because apparently, you know, this was a this was a BLM type of type of riot where people were were rioting in favor of, you know, racial equality. Okay, and so anybody who then the narrative then becomes if you went to that riot to oppose the rioters, then by definition of opposing the rioters, you are on the opposite side ideologically from the rioters. And therefore, you must be a white supremacist. So that's how that's how the media thinks about this. This is how our betters, the elites, think about these kinds of things. And they literally twist themselves into knots. It's very possible that you can be in favor of racial equality, but be against people rioting and destroying property and putting other people at risk. Those two things... It's possible for somebody to hold those two beliefs within them and not be in contradiction, and absolutely not be in contradiction. The um, there's another there's another piece of um, media that has been twisting things. If you've been going to the grocery store of late, you've noticed that prices have increased. In fact, I just saw a report this morning that said um, um, inflation has increased in the month of October by a little over eight percent year over year. And it's the highest amount of inflation so far recorded um, since they've been recording in a, in a very short amount of time. Um, and if you've gone to the grocery store, you've noticed that $100 doesn't get you all that much anymore. And in fact, in over the last several months, over the summer, I know leading up to 4th of July, the White House put out um, a marketing campaign that said, yeah, you really aren't worse off than you were a year prior, because remember a year prior would have been under Trump. And so we had the white house, which was basically trying to gaslight us back in July saying that, no, the, there is no inflation. Um, you're, you're not really seeing that big of a, of a price jump. Okay. Well, maybe there's a little bit of a price jump, but it's not that much. 
And yesterday, MSNBC ran a story that said that inflation is actually good for us. I, I'm just I'm just flabbergasted by this. Because what is what is inflation? What does it actually mean? Well, inflation means that the buying power of your dollar, of a single dollar, is weakened. Which means you can, when you want to go to the store to buy something with a dollar, it actually costs you more dollars to buy the same object. So if I go and if I go someplace and I used to spend 50 cents to buy a soda, and then the next month I go and it's no longer 50 cents, it's now 60 cents. And then the month, and then the next month it's now 70 cents. That's inflation. I actually get less quality or less product for the same amount of dollars that I spent. Now, there are different reasons why prices can go up. So we can't just assume that just because prices are going up, it, that's inflation. Because sometimes very specific products and services will increase in price, but not everything within the economy will increase in price. And so in that situation, there's probably more of a supply side issue or a demand side issue that is driving those overall prices because that's what prices actually are. They send signals to consumers, but they also send signals to other producers about what's going on in the supply chain. And so if, if for example, you want to buy wood, wood furniture and the cost of the wood furniture is increasing, it could be because wood supply is low. And then maybe throughout the supply chain, you find that, yeah, there were uh, terrible fires in certain forests and certain, um, or maybe there's a, a beetle that is consuming different trees and the trees are rotting. And so they're not able to get quality wood, which then goes into making things like pencils or wood furniture. And so wood products increase in price because now all of these different producers are competing to purchase the, the supply of wood so that they can produce their products, which then increases in price elsewhere. So the pricing allows society to use, uh, to send those scarce resources where they're going to, where they're going to be used the greatest, where they're going to have great, greater opportunity for society as a whole. So just because a price is increasing doesn't necessarily mean it's inflation. However, when you have prices increasing across the entire economic spectrum, then guess what? We've got some inflation that's going on. But MSNBC yesterday came out with an article that said, you know what, this whole thing about inflation, it's actually a good thing. So we went from we went from late June where, no, there's not really inflation. Okay, well, maybe there's a little bit of inflation, but it, it's not that bad to now in November, because everybody's going to the grocery store and everybody's getting ready to getting ready for Thanksgiving. Now we have, well, inflation is probably actually good for us. You know, it's a funny thing about inflation. If, if inflation goes, goes too high too quickly, then those poorer within society, they can't, they can't purchase as much food. And so I guess, you know, it can be good because you know what inflation, if you're buying less food for your dollars, well, then you're not going to be as well fed as you were in the past. So I guess inflation at this point becomes, you know, it's a weight loss program. This is absolutely insanity that we're being we're being told, you know, that that one thing which we experience as pain is actually good for us. You know, there was a book uh, George Orwell wrote called 1984 in which, you know, he described this exact thing where the state says the opposite. So, you know, war is peace. 
So just because the state is always at war, that means we're literally at peace. Uh, and so now we see that happening in our in our own in our own culture. Even yesterday, uh, Pete Buttigieg, a transportation secretary, he came out and he said, you know, within our infrastructure, we need this infrastructure bill that was passed because we passed one trillion dollar infrastructure. Which, of course, all we're going to do is pump even more dollars into the economy, which is going to add. It's like adding gasoline on that already inflating inflating prices across the economy. Um, but you know, inflation is good for you because these because our elite betters need to get need to pump the economy full of money. Anyway, uh, Pete Buttigieg came out and he said, you know what, um, we need the infrastructure bill because there are certain places where, I think this was in New York City or around New York, where you have these, these underpasses or overpasses that were constructed, these bridges over highways, and they're not high enough for buses to go through. And since buses can't go through, if a bus is carrying... Hispanic kids or black kids, then the existence and the construction of that bridge was actually racism at play. But no mention of whether or not buses with white kids in them would also be impeded. One would assume so. So why is this specifically a racial issue? Now, there have been people that have come out and said, you know what, this is absolutely true. The engineer who built those did not want buses to go to these beaches. I guess that was really what Pete Buttigieg's point was, is that these beaches are now blocked from bus, bus loads of children going to the beaches to be able to enjoy them. So let's assume for the sake of argument that yes, the civil engineer did design these roadways and these overpasses and such so that the bridges were lower and buses were not um, going to be able to go, go to the beach. Maybe he did that because people in government at the time, in city government, didn't want bus loads of people going to the beach. Maybe the beach doesn't have the infrastructure to manage bus loads of people going there. I don't know. But if he made the, even for the sake of argument, if he made the conscious decision and said, I don't want buses to go there, did he do it simply to target black and Latino kids? Or was he targeting all types of buses? Seems to me he's targeting all types of buses. But of course, this is a race, a racist issue, uh, low bridges. And so therefore we must pump trillions of dollars into the economy. I remember, I'm old enough to remember uh, back in the Obama days when we passed, when Congress passed a trillion dollar, uh, a trillion dollar budget plan or a trillion dollar bill to take care of infrastructure. Do you remember that? I do. They even had a nice little tagline associated to it called shovel ready jobs. And then Obama, a couple of years later, said, yeah, well, those jobs weren't really, weren't really as shovel-ready as we thought they were. We've already been down this path. And of course, the same, the same, um, you know, the, the same group of suspects are out there saying, well, we need, we need better infrastructure. Well, what about the trillions of dollars that we passed under Obama and no, no infrastructure changed? What about that? You made the exact same argument uh, back in, what was it, 2010 or something like that. So we, we've already crossed this bridge before. What happened to all that money? Nobody ever wants to, wants to ask that question and figure out, well, what happened to all that money and why wasn't that money that was passed to redo infrastructure, why wasn't it used for actual infrastructure? Why are we right back here, not even 20 years later, why are we back at 10 years later if that, we're back here asking, saying the same thing, well, we need to redo our infrastructure and we need to spend trillions of dollars to do it. 
in my opinion, it's it's not a matter of the infrastructure. It's really about creating a slush fund for politicians. It worked so well the first time. Everybody says, yes, we need we need infrastructure. I hear the same types of things when I hear politicians and people talking about we need dollars for education. We spend trillions of dollars a year on education and every single election cycle, there's always seems to be a new bill that takes money from the people and sends it and appropriates it for education. And yet education continues to be poor. Uh, our children continue to suffer at the schools with the type of education they receive. And that just per continues to perpetuate the need to increase more dollars and send more dollars into the school system. So we're right back here, but we're using instead of the school systems or education, we're right back here with, with infrastructure. Because of course, who in America doesn't want good infrastructure? So that's how they get you. They get you there in the, try to pull on the heartstrings to say, well, are you against infrastructure? No, I'm not against infrastructure. What I'm against are trillion dollar bills being passed when we have massive inflation in the country. Uh, and we've spent trillions of dollars prior to that for the exact same reason. Tell me what happened to the last to the last dollar, to the last set of dollars that we spent for infrastructure. Where, where did all that money go? How come our infrastructure isn't repaired? I mean, if there were very visible signs of brand new infrastructure going around all across the country based on the prior based on the prior bill, I might not be so so skeptical of it. We might be able to have a better conversation and say, okay, we we just need more money to finish out the jobs, the, the infrastructure jobs that we started back in when Obama was president. At least then it makes a little bit more sense. But to completely ignore what had happened during the Obama era and just say, well, we're just going to spend trillions of dollars because we need to redo our infrastructure. To me, that sounds extremely irresponsible. All right. So let, let's get into this, this, this topic of should, should, should wives take their husband's last name? Huh. <laughs> oh, boy. It seems like I never. Uh, we always seem here at Fusion Underground try to try to wade out into tumultuous waters here. I don't know what kind of uh, hate mail I'm going to get over this whole thing, but I thought it was really important. And the reason why I thought it was important: one, I saw I saw the the topic come up online. Some other folks on Twitter were arguing about it, and and of course there were there were plenty of women who were saying, "I don't want to take my husband's name." when I get married and I'm just going to, or I'm going to hyphenate what's, you know, what's, if it's so important, why shouldn't he, why shouldn't he take my name instead? There are of course, people who have tried to make this a, a religious argument. Um, but that sort of falls on, on flat ears because there is no specific point in the, in the Bible that says uh, women should take their husband's name. However, there are passages in the Bible that talk about how God refers to both men and women as simply, you know, the men of the world or men of the world. Okay. So collectively calls both of them um, under, you know, given the masculine trait. And so there are some folks who use those types of passages to make an argument that wives should therefore take their husband's name. And, and okay, so that, that might give you some kind of an argument, but I don't think that's a good enough argument. I don't think it's a good enough argument to just point to certain passages like that, that are, that are kind of nebulous, that are kind of ambiguous, and to, and to use that and say, see, this is definitive proof in a religious context that, we should be, that women should be taking their husband's last names. 
One of the things that I find interesting about this is I was engaged to somebody for a while, my, my prior relationship, and we were, we were to get married. And, um, she told me flat out that she was not going to, to take my last name. Now I had been married prior and my, my, my wife, um, you know, she's no longer, she's no longer living. She lost her a battle to cancer a few years back, but, um, she was very happy to take my last name when we got married. She wanted to, for her, she was very excited to do that. And, and, and so when, when in my last relationship, when my fiance at the time said, well, I'm not going to take your last name. And I asked, well, why not? You know, out of curiosity, why not? And, and she said at the time that, you know, she had been building, it was had to do with her career and she had been building her career in such a way. And she didn't want to change her last name because she didn't want to deal with the confusion. She didn't want to confuse, confuse folks and everything like that. Okay. I get that to a point. But for me, as a, as a guy, I started, you know, I was thinking about that and it really, it felt odd to me that the woman that I wanted to marry did not want to take my last name. It felt very odd to me and I couldn't really explain or articulate why. And then of course we broke up and I stopped thinking about it. Um, and then when I saw it a couple of weeks ago, again, pop up the, the, the topic, I started thinking about a little bit more. And now I was in a, I think it was in a better headspace, clearer headspace, right? To think about it. And I thought, well, first of all, this has been a very traditional thing in our society for a, for a number of years, for a very long time, at least in the West, for wives to take their husband's last name. So it's one thing to say, well, it's tradition, Okay. You know, some, there are a lot of people that say, well, tradition, we can do away with tradition. We can do away with traditions that are outdated, uh, that have no, no more value. And I think that that can, that can occur. There can be certain traditions that we say, you know what, this tradition no longer is needed within society. But before we do that, I think it's very important for us to have a different conversation, which is to say, why does the tradition exist in the first place? What good is there in the tradition? Because if we just throw out the tradition, then we throw out whatever good that, hap that, is, that is still there. Now, the th reason why traditions arose is because there was a good reason behind that. We, traditions don't just start because, um, because we want to do something. That's not how traditions start. There's usually a value there. There's a reason why. There's an underlying reason why. Now, over the years, over many generations, et cetera, we stop talking about the reason, the reason why. And so then future generations, we don't understand. We don't understand exactly why the tradition started in the first place, what good came from that tradition, why it might be good in this context for a wife to take her husband's name. So let's talk about that. Um, the first thing is let's let's assume that it's it's good for the wife to take her husband's name, just for the sake of argument. And I'm going to look at the opposite of that, which is should a husband take his wife's last name? So let's assume, for the sake of argument, right now that a woman is going to take her her husband's name. What what is gained from that? 
Well, first of all, it it shows how a woman is willing to go all in on a relationship. Now think about that for a minute, because I think that's really important. When you're talking about a marriage, when you're talking about two people coming together and being married, even in our ceremonies, just the marriage ceremony itself, we acknowledge and we like to acknowledge, it's a very romantic ideal that these two people who are individuals who are separate are coming together and they're being joined together as one. They are now one unit, one person existing in two bodies, etc. cetera. They are, they are one, they're a whole unit. And when we, when we come together to celebrate people that are getting married, we do it as a, as a societal thing. We do it as a community. Our community comes together to witness these two people being joined and becoming one. That's what marriage is. If you don't want to join and become one, then, then there's the option of just don't get married. So if we're going to join and become one, then, then taking the last name is emblematic of that becoming one. Now, somebody has to take the last, somebody's name has to change or should in order to see it become, see the couple become one. So we see it in the marriage ceremony, but then there's also the time that exists after the ceremony in the rest of society. So if you see two people and you see Mr. and Mrs. Jones, then there's a, you're pretty solid. You're like 99.99% sure that Mr. and Mrs. Jones are a married couple. And so from a societal standpoint, if you know that this couple is married, that a couple is married, you're automatically going to approach the couple in a completely different way. You're not going to be approaching them or thinking about them in terms of individuals. You're thinking about them as a couple, as two people who are joined together, who are one. Now, if you see on a piece of paper or something on some kind of a note notification, you see, you know, a Mr. Jones and a Mrs. Smith, well, then the assumption is not, is not that those two people are married, are, are together married, that maybe she's married to somebody else. And so now there's confusion, there's ambiguity. You don't actually know. If if you have a piece of paper that has a has all kinds of different people on it, for example. And now you see, well, there's a Mr. Jones and a Mrs. Smith. Well, I don't necessarily know that those two people are married. They could be. Let's say she, she, they got married and she didn't want to take his last name. But we don't know that they're a married couple. We don't know that they're a married couple. Now, ladies, do you want, do you want your, the men in your life, the, your husband? Do you want society? Do you want other women to actually know he's married? Why doesn't the, the pendulum swing the opposite way? Why can't it be that as men, we want society to know that my wife is married, that the woman that I love and adore and appreciate that she's married, she's taken. Wouldn't we, you want society to recognize that husbands are married, that your man is married, your man is taken. Is it not okay for men to want the same thing? For society to know that the woman in their life that's most important to them is taken? I think so. There's also, within society, there's also, and I think this is okay. 
I, I think this is okay. And within our society, there is this overwhelming sense of belief that women, when they get married, that their husbands are going to be there to take care of them, provide for them. Now, not all women need that nor want that. But that is still an underlying assumption. In fact, even if you're a very successful, very successful woman who does not need a man to take care of her, society will look at your relationship. And if your man is not good enough to take care of you, should you need it, society will judge him lesser for it. And they'll actually question you. Why did you pick him? He can't take care of you. So there is an expectation in our society that men will be the, be the breadwinner. Now, I'm not saying they should be the breadwinner, but there's still that underlying expectation from, from society that he can be. On this show, we talked about two very distinct books, one for men only and the other for women only. And those two books explored the, the deeper inner meanings and desires that come from each of us within a loving, committed relationship. And how within men, there's this, there's this undying need. There's a very visceral need that men want to be seen. They want to provide. They want to take care of their family. Men think about how they're going to take care of their family all the time. It exists constantly in their mind. And they're always thinking about, do I, do I make this choice or this decision and how best will it affect me and my family? Now that's ingrained in our DNA. That's ingrained deep down in our, in our male DNA. So even if I make less money than my wife, there's still that undying need within me that says, I need to be able to be a provider for my family. Yes, my wife may might make more money than I uh, than I do, but that's beside the point. I still need to be able to contribute a high amount. I need to be there if if something were to happen to my wife. I need to be able to step up and still be able to provide for her. And so, if the if the wife, and if society expects that of men, and if we expect the men to be not only the provider and caretaker of the family, but also the defender of the home. Is it not okay to pay the, the husband that respect and take his last name? Because the man is going to defend all of those who have his name. That's very, very symbolic. Now you might say, well, why doesn't he take her last name? Because it's not the same. I'm telling you, it's, it's just, it's not the same. It was never his name. And so therefore it's not the name. It's hard to defend something viscerally that you don't really truly believe in. And if I, as a man, don't truly believe in that last name, eh, I don't give, give a crap if the name gets stepped on, if the name falters. So that's, I think, I think that's really important for, from a cultural standpoint, from a societal standpoint. And we should expect men to do this. You know, we, there are a lot of people clamoring today that there's this toxic masculinity and that in their opinion, masculinity should be eliminated. I don't believe masculinity should be eliminated. I think we need more good masculinity in our culture and in our society. And that good masculinity is 
part of that is men need to be, they need to be the providers of their family. They need to be the defenders of their home. They need to defend their wives. They should put their wives up on a pedestal. They should look at her as his only world and be willing to defend her at all things and provide for her and take care of her should the need occur. We need that kind of masculinity. So if we're going to expect that our men behave in that way, which I think is a very good and noble way to behave, and I think it speaks, it aligns with those inner needs and desires that exist deep down within every male. So then it becomes a very small thing for the wife to take on the husband's last name. There's also the, there's also the whole um, idea of, of children. So I'm really, really referring to, you know, talking about young couples who are getting married and who plan to have children. Well, they have to have a last name. And so whose last name are they going to choose if the wife hyphenates her name or if the wife chooses not to take a last name at all? Now you're setting yourself up to have all kinds of different arguments. Who are the, who are the kids going to be named? You know, what last name are the kids going to, going to take? You know, there, there's something to be said that if you are not willing to go all in on a relationship, and for women, it's a very small thing for them to do is to take the last name. It's a, it's symbolic. Not only is it symbolic of them going all in on the relationship, it's them saying, you know what, I'm, 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 I'm willing to give up part of myself to be with you. Of course, the other, the flip side is, well, what do men expect? Shouldn't men have to give up something as well? And the answer is yes, absolutely. And, and what men should be giving up is your money goes to her, right? She, you're, we're coming together as one. So, you know, in many situations, men are the breadwinners of families. That's still a case in most, in most cup, in, in, you know, amongst most couples. And so the worst thing a man could do by entering into a relation, entering into a marriage with a, with a woman is to say, your money is your money and my money is my money. And let's split everything. That's the worst thing that he could do. So the man should go all in as well and just say, honey, my money is our, my money is now our money. And the things that we buy, it's just, it's ours. It's not yours. It's not mine necessarily. It's, you know, it's ours. The house we have is our house. It's our furniture. It's our money. Because, you know, there are some women that are going to be, they're going to have children. Um, they want to have children. They want to be stay-at-home moms, even if it's for a little while. Men, we shouldn't be putting our women, our wives into these positions where they feel lesser just simply because they're not working, because they're having your babies. If they can't work and, and maybe they don't want to work, maybe they, Maybe they want to be a stay-at-home mom or a stay-at-home wife. There's nothing wrong with that either. If Even if you decide not to have children, but she's like, you know, honey, I want to be able to stay at home and take care of the house and have things nice. for. There's nothing wrong with that. And so men, you should recognize that and, and just go all in on the physical side, which is the physical side I'm talking about is, is, is your money, your capital. You're bringing all that to the table and saying, I'm, I'm going all in. I don't want to have separate banking accounts or separate checking accounts. Because the moment you start to do that, you start to, you start to put a wedge in that relationship. 
what if I make three times the amount of money as my wife does? And I want to go on a really nice vacation. I'm like, all right, honey, this is how much you owe for the vacation. But she doesn't, she doesn't make that much money. Maybe she's a teacher, for example, and she doesn't make that much money. So now she has to, now she feels bad because she doesn't bring as much money to the table as you do. That's a very bad place to be. But if you just put all that money together and this is our money, it's our family, it's our last name, it's our money, you really start cutting down on those arguments. And then there is no argument of, over who to name the, the children after, whose last name the children will take. Now, some women say, well, I'm going to take his last name, but I'm going, to, I'm going to hyphenate my name. Well, what's the problem with that? Well, the problem with that is now you become a transformer, ladies, because at any time you can use or drop whichever name you prefer in social context, and it's completely okay. So now you have a Mrs. Jones Smith. At any time, you can be either Mrs. You can either be Miss Jones or you can be Mrs. Smith. However you want to, however you want to play that. Again, you're not all in. That's my point. My point is you're not all in with a relationship. You always have a back door open. If you always have a way out of the relationship, then you will find a way to walk through that back door and leave that relationship. Same thing goes with men. It doesn't matter whether you're male or female in this situation. If you have a back door, if you have a way out, then you will at some point find a way to execute that escape plan. That's just a natural human way of existing. So close that back door. Don't hyphenate the name. Take the husband's name. Now, there are women that have taken their last name. And because now once you get married, you can legally change your name, right? And so there have been situations where women have taken their last name and made it their middle name. And I'm not so much of a, so opposed to that because now it, it is technically their, their middle name. Um, and so they have a, the ability to be Miss Jones versus Mrs. Smith is much more difficult to do because it's the actual, it's their middle name um, as opposed to having two last names. That's really what happens when you hyphenate that last name is your last name becomes two. There's the, there's the other, there's the other possibility, you know, if, if you hyphenate the name um, now there, well, let me take a step back because there are folks who are saying, well, maybe he should take the name. Now let's kind of switch there. So again, most men are like, well, you know, it's, it's mine. You, you, you're talking about something really deeply ingrained in them. You're probably going to get men to hyphenate their last name before they would take and drop their existing last name and take your last name. There's a much greater percentage of chance of you being successful in getting your future husband to hyphenate his name. But then what happens? Yes, you're known as the Mr. and Mrs. Joan Smiths. Okay, great. Right? So we satisfy, we now eliminate that confusion. You still haven't done your husband a tremendous honor, but you expect him to uphold your honor at all costs. Yes? You haven't done anything to honor him, but the expectation is he must honor you going forward in all things. I find that to be a bit unfair. But let's say you do have, you both have hyphenated last names. You have children who 
then it becomes pretty obvious at that point that their names are hyphenated as well, Joan Smith. What happens if Joan Smith grows up, you know, little Susie Joan Smith, she grows up into a beautiful young woman and she now meets uh, Gonzalez Green, another kid who his parents decided to both take the names, each other's last name and hyphenate it. And now he's a Gonzalez Green and you got Joan Smith and they get married. Now, what do you do? Do you hyphenate both of those names? And now there's Joan Smith, Gonzalez Green as one single last name. Now you're just getting into the area of absurdity. So there's a reason why all of this exists. There's a, the reason why, yes, it's traditional. My point is, is yes, this is all based and rooted in tradition. And we see some, some uh, aspects of this, even within our, our own religions. But the underlying, the underlying evidence here, or I should say the underlying reasons for wives to take their last names is because it's a very small opportunity. It's a very small way for them to honor their husbands given the fact that their husbands now are taking on the responsibility of honoring you in all things going forward. It's a very small price to pay. And I think, why not do that for the fellas? Why not do that for the men? Why not? It's a very beautiful thing when two people do come together in marriage and they are both going all in on the relationship. Ladies, how would you, how would you feel if you found out that your husband actually had a private checking account where he was dumping money and you learned that that was his potential escape plan. Or if you, you know, his thinking is if we divorce, I got, I got a little bit of money over here. I can restart my life. Same thing happens if you don't take his last name. Now the argument of, well, I've built up my career under my current name and then I have to change. You know what? All that is an excuse. All of that is an excuse. I've worked in professional environments for a very long time. And I've seen, I've worked with women who have changed their names after they've gotten married. I've worked with women who have changed their names after they've gotten a divorce. Now, if you are willing to go back, you, you, what if you marry, you've taken your husband's name and you've been married for a very long time and then you divorce. So now you, over that entire course of your marriage, you've built up your career and then you get a divorce. Are you going to keep his last name? Or are you going to go back to your maiden name? There are a lot of women who want to go back to their maiden name. But I thought you built up this whole career. So is it really about the career or is it more about the excuse of not wanting to change your name? So I've worked with a, with a, a number of women who have changed their names, whether it was before, you know when they got married or when they got a divorce. And you know what? The truth of the matter is your colleagues, your clients, they don't care. They don't care what your last name is. And guess what? They'll learn what your new last name is, whether you go back to your maiden name or you change your name to your husband's name. Because they ultimately don't care. They're not even thinking about you in terms of your last name. They're thinking about you in terms of your first name anyway. And there are great little things that we have, our technology that makes it very easy. You have emails that you can just put in your signature. You can put your name and, you know, and, and, and I've seen, I've worked with women. I thought this was, it was, it was beautifully done where they would put their new last name. And then they would, you know, it would say like, you know, Catherine Jones, knee Smith. Okay. 
meaning that they're now Catherine Jones, but their last name was Smith. Their maiden name was Smith. And they do that for a while. And then after a few months, they take off the Smith part of their from their signature once the word kind of gets out. And let's say you've built up a business and now you need to change your, you got mar- you're, you're getting married and you're going to change your last name. Well, guess what? You've been building up a business. You're afraid to confuse your clients because you're, you don't want to, because you don't want to confuse them by changing their name. But yet here's a perfect opportunity for you to reach out to all of your clients, reintroduce yourself and say, Hey, I got married. So just want to let you know, I got married. My last name is now this. So if you see any communications from me, know that my, my last name has changed. They're going to be ecstatic for you. Now you have an opportunity to reach out to those clients. So again, I don't see this. I, I see when I hear the excuse of, I have to keep my last name or I want to keep my last name because of my career, because of my business that I've built up. Again, all I hear are just nothing but excuses. It's just an excuse that sounds reasonable, but it's an excuse to not go all in on the relationship. And you know what? When I think back on my prior relationship and how my fiance didn't want to take my last name and how that made me feel as a man, how that made me feel confused and it made me feel not excited anymore about marrying her. And then I noticed that I started to do things. When I reflect back on all of that, I started to do things that kept us separated, that kept me separate from her. She was willing to be separate from me and I was starting to be separate from her. And our relationship grew apart because of that. Because we weren't, you know, that simple, it, it's amazing how something so small, like, yes, I'm, I'm happy, I'm proud, I want to take your name. How something like that just speaks to us as men and then makes us just want to love you even more and makes us just want to provide for you and be there for you and, you know, worship the ground you walk on even more than we did before. And yet when we hear, I don't want to take your last name. Well, then to hell with you then. Why do I, why should I, why should I go all in? We may not think that initially, but that's how we feel deep down. And those are the things that start to kind of percolate, percolate deep down within us. So there's no, there's no wonder. I mean, of course my, the, my prior relationship fell apart. We both were not going all in on the relationship. We were both looking, started looking for excuses to not be all in. And so that's a bad thing. So, you know, I, I, you know, I, I wanted to record this today. Hopefully men would hear this at some point. I think it's personally, I think it's a big red flag when, when, um, if you're with somebody and they say, I don't want to take your last name when we get married. I think that's a red flag. And I think, I think men, I think you need to do some deep soul searching on that. And ladies, I think you need to do some soul searching on what message is that sending to, to your future husband. I don't think men should just simply roll over and live with that frustration for the rest of their lives. It's a, it is very, very, um, 
it's very amazing how something that seems I know I, you know, in, in talking with women, they 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 don't understand why this is such a big deal to men. And the fact that you don't understand, I'm not saying you should understand, but the fact that you don't understand speaks volumes that maybe you should take the time to truly understand why it's that important. And if you are already thinking as a woman, it's no big deal, it's just a last name, then maybe that's a reason to actually change your last name. If it doesn't matter that much to you, but it does to him. Remember, ladies, there are going to be times where he doesn't give a crap about what you're interested in, but it matters to you. Do you still want your man to be around in those situations? So if it's if if there's something in your life that is important for you, and you know it's not important to him, but you still want him to be there to support you, then you have to be willing to put the shoe on the other foot and think, well, this is important to him. It's really important to him. I really don't give a crap about it, but it's important to him. So I'll do it. I'll do it because it's important to him. That's a good thing. That's a quality thing. You're going all in. So anyway, I hope that, um, I hope you think about this. Uh, I'm really, <laughs> uh, I'm going to brace myself for, uh, for the, um, you know, for the inevitable uh, hate mail that I'll probably end up getting from this. I know there are a lot of people that feel very um, strongly. I know there are a lot of women that that feel very strongly about not taking their husband's last name. And I know that there are many men who um, are just saying, well, okay, fine, whatever. And they cannot articulate why it's important. Uh, I hope folks listen and maybe learn something from it. And um, again, this is just my my opinion on the matter, my take on it. Um, let me know how I'm wrong. Uh, you can find all of our stuff on Fusion Underground out at fusionunderground.net. Uh, again, we're on Facebook at um, facebook.com forward slash AZ Fusion Underground. Um, I post everything out there whenever we have uh, new shows that are released. Um, and you can just plug into whatever your podcast listener is on your phone and just do a search for Fusion Underground. You'll find us, um, all of our... You know, we're on Anchor, Breaker, Spotify, Google Podcast, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, uh, anywhere you find podcasts, you can find us. Um, so let us know how completely off base I am. Um, I look forward to it. I hope everybody, I hope you have a wonderful week. Thanks for listening to the Fusion Underground. Peace, word, light.